Waiting for the results. And a vote for Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley has captured all six votes here in Dixville Notch, mm-hmm. as every resident in this community has supported Nikki Haley. So those are the results from the first community in the first in the nation primary, Laura. Recount, Laura. I'm calling for a recount. All six votes. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. Oh, yeah. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Oh, Donald Trump's not going to be happy about that. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding, and Round Mountains, KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's. AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroot Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much. For joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Hello, Desi Doyen. Hello, your money not back if you're not thrilled. There you go. That's exactly right. Welcome to the program. Uh, Voters were at the polls in New Hampshire on Tuesday in the first in the nation primary voting of the 2024 presidential election. And I'll just pause here so that America can cheer. I hear no cheers. (laughs) In any event, we will have uh, full results as they are known on tomorrow's broadcast out of New Hampshire, though we do have a few results today, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, In New Hampshire, all votes are cast on paper ballots that are marked by hand. So presuming the documented chain of custody for those ballots is kept secure in each town, New Hampshire and America can know that what is uh, hand-marked on those ballots actually reflects the intent of each voter, as opposed to, say, jurisdictions around the country that uh, force voters to use touchscreen voting systems, which can never be known after an election to reflect the will of any of the voters who cast their votes on them. Aside from being hand-marked, about 40% of the towns in New Hampshire also hand-count their ballots. Not uh, 40% of the voters. These are usually small towns. Uh, But often, those tallies, those hand-counted tallies, are completed before the larger towns are completed. 
even if they use their uh, optical scan computers to tally the hand-marked paper ballots. The scanners, by the way, that they still use up in, uh, up in New Hampshire are made by a company named Diebold that does not even exist anymore, the AccuVote scanners. Most of them are at least 15 years old. Some date back to the Bill Clinton era. Oh, that's some old Windows, That's man. some old uh, computers. I don't even know if they're Windows. But uh, that said, um, they, you know... Because they are, they're not attached. Uh, uh, they don't uh, attach to the internet, etc. Um, they're actually, in many ways, more trustworthy, if you will, than some of the newer computerized tabulation systems. But of course, if there are any problems or any questions about the results tallied on those computer scanners in New Hampshire, well, those ballots can be hand tallied in every New Hampshire town if need be. The big contest, of course, on Tuesday was on the Republican side where Nikki Haley is the last standing challenger to the leading GOP candidate. That would be the twice impeached, four-time criminally indicted former President Donald Trump. She needs a victory in New Hampshire or really to be within single digits, I think, in order to remain viable in the race with the next GOP contest not for another month or so from now in her home state of South Carolina. On the Democratic side, New Hampshire, President Joe Biden is not on the ballot as the DNC has determined that their first official primary contest will be in South Carolina as well. In their case, that'll be on Saturday, February 3 few weeks before the Republican uh, uh, primary there. Nonetheless, there has been a push by some in the Granite State, that would be New Hampshire, for a write-in campaign for the president on Tuesday. That means there will be, in fact, quite a bit of hand counting of those paper ballots in all of New Hampshire's towns. As the computer optical scanners... Um, can tell that there is a write-in vote, but they cannot tell who it is for without humans actually checking each and every Democratic ballot that is cast with a write-in vote to determine who it's for. So, for now, the only results that we can offer you as we go to air today are those that were uh, cast after midnight, right after midnight, on Tuesday in the tiny northern New Hampshire town known as Dixville Notch. Not to be confused with Gobbler's Knob. And no, Desi, just leave it. Just don't touch it, okay? That would be uh, Gobbler's Knob in Pennsylvania, where Punxsutawney Phil, in just a few weeks on Groundhog Day, will predict whether there will be six more weeks of winter with pretty much the same amount of, uh, like, same likelihood of accuracy, I think, as the voters of Dixville Notch up in New Hampshire. There you go. Uh, which, uh, you know, they might have predicted the winner of the GOP New Hampshire primary when every voter in the town, all six of them, came out after midnight to cast the very, very first primary votes of the 2024 election. It's a Haley sweep. There are, uh, in fact, uh, four registered Republicans in Dixville Notch and two undeclared voters, which means... Uh, those two get to choose whether to vote in the Republican or the Democratic race. In this case, uh, they both chose to vote the Republican ballot this year in Dixville Notch. 
Uh, minutes later, just after midnight, after uh, the six voters there had voted, as media reportedly outnumbered voters by more than 10 to 1 <laughs> from every corner of the globe, according to AP, the uh, minutes later, the town's one polling place was then closed and the town's results were then counted by hand, as you heard the end of there at the top of the show, and announced to all. And uh, actually, though only six, I got to admit, the results kind of took me by surprise last night, Des. They did? Why? Uh, I don't, all six of them for Nikki Haley? I was gotta say, I was kind of surprised. Now, apparently she visited the town and visited all six voters. So who knows what bribes she clearly <laughs> must have uh, paid them. Must be. But must be. Uh, yes, all six of them voted for the uh, former South Carolina governor. Donald Trump received zero votes. I will let you decide if that tells us anything about how the rest of the state voted on Tuesday. I suspect even those six votes, however, infuriated the former president. And yes, the media do love the story of Dixville Notch, uh, which has been the first in the nation to vote and tally since 1960. They have been doing this. But in truth, what is not to love? It is tailor-made for them. CNN noted in their story headlined, Nikki Haley sweeps six-person midnight vote in New Hampshire. Uh, they said midnight voting in Dixville Notch has historically been held at the now-dormant Balsam's Hotel. Recently, with the hotel closed and awaiting redevelopment, there had been questions about whether Dixville Notch would have enough voters but the tradition has apparently continued as its uh, population, however, has dwindled over the years. Dixville Notch's hold on the mini contest is a success story for local leaders and a reason to smile for political junkies eager for an early taste of what's to come. According to town moderator Tom Tillotson, his father former Balsam's Resort owner Neil Tillotson worked to get Dixville Notch incorporated specifically so the community could vote and residents would not be forced to travel close to an hour away in the snow to participate in elections. Well, good for him. Mail voting, you might say, well, why couldn't they vote for mail? Well, because it's New Hampshire and it's still very restricted there. So, in fact, most votes are cast on Election Day. In the case of Dixville Notch, all the votes are cast on Election Day. Uh, Tillotson, however, cautioned against thinking the midnight results would be too instructive. He said, quote, there's no magic bullet that comes out of here that tells people what to do or what's going to happen. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we are wrong, he said. Les Otten, the now principal owner and developer of the Balsams Resort, told AP he was excited to cast his ballot. He said it's, it's special. It really is. It's what ought to happen in every community in the United States where there is 100% participation. Everybody votes, he noted. The core takeaway, echoed uh, Tillotson, is that people should not shy away from participating in the democratic process. Quote, if all these people in the wilderness can get up at midnight and go vote, yes, they probably wake up to go vote at Dixville Notch in, uh, up there in northern, sleepy northern New Hampshire, 
Uh, if they can all do that 100% of the town, maybe we should take voting a little more seriously, he said. If we do anything positive, it's maybe encourage a few extra people to vote. I like that. I'm sure most of the coverage focused, you know, on the results as if it might tell us something. Don't know if it will or not. Uh, but I think what it does tell us is, yeah, 100% of the town voted. That's pretty cool. It's very cool, and I hope that it is instructive for elections officials and state legislatures that make the voting rules that sometimes make it super hard for people to actually get up and vote. Well, all they have to do is trudge through the snow at midnight and vote. Yeah, but, uh, but what is instructive is... They don't wait in eight-hour lines, I can tell you that much. Correct. And uh, 100% hand-marked paper ballots, 100% hand-counted paper ballots, publicly counted. Everybody knows there will be no demand for recounts in Dixville Notch because everybody watched the ballots being counted. Similar, by the way, to how they do it in 40% of the towns in New Hampshire, but not many other places across the U.S. these days, unfortunately. In any event, we will have, a, uh, we will have full reported results, whatever they may be, on tomorrow's broadcast out of New Hampshire. And while I always try to warn when we do results on this show when they're first reported, uh, because they're usually tallied by computers as opposed to human beings... Uh, I always try to warn that they may or may not be correct. As I know, I often bore you by reminding you whenever I do this um, that it is sometimes days or weeks or months or, yes, even years before problems with computerized voting systems and tally systems actually come to light. In this case, however, uh, and again, thanks to hand-marked paper ballots and publicly overseen hand counting, I think we can all have uh, some measure of confidence that the results from Dixville Notch's 2024 presidential uh, primary election at least have been reported accurately. <laughs> yes, I think I think we can uh, settle on that. I don't expect to circle back. Okay. Uh, but as to my uh, constant. I realize annoying reminder that that is not always the case, and even that in some case it can take, yes, years before computerized tabulation problems actually come to light. I will uh, make my point here today by pointing you toward Prince William County, Virginia. This is one of the stories from, from a week or so ago that I hadn't been able to get to until now, thanks to our uh, recent Adventures, Adventures with COVID. COVID. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> As you may have heard, Donald Trump has been claiming for some time that there was massive fraud in the 2020 presidential election, the one that he lost to Joe Biden, despite zero evidence of any such massive fraud. But you probably heard some of his complaints. As it turns out, however, there were counting errors in at least one county as detailed from 2020, detailed just over the past week or two. Virginia Republicans have pointed to the prosecution of Prince William County's former top election official for allegedly uh, fudging, as the Virginia Mercury reports it, fudging 2020 vote counts as 
the strongest evidence available that, in yes, fraud was a real concern in the last presidential contest. The case against this now former official, this would be Prince William's director of elections, Michelle White, uh, that case, however, was dropped about two weeks ago after the county's elections office revealed that the tabulation errors confirmed as totaling several thousand votes, in fact, from way back in 2020, those errors actually worked in favor of former President Donald Trump, even though this was the evidence that Republicans were pointing to uh, that there was fraud in the 2020 election that Donald Trump got ripped off. There were uh, initially few details offered by the Office of Virginia's new Republican attorney general when the criminal case was simply and unceremoniously dropped against the uh, election official a couple of weeks ago. But we have been able to learn a little bit more since then. As uh, reported by NBC News, the shorted vote tallies did not change the results of any affected race. The county's current registrar says it appears to have been a combination of human error and poor planning that resulted in the incorrect vote counts. The Northern Virginia County acknowledged that it actually underreported President Joe Biden's margin of victory over Donald Trump in the 2020 presidential election by about 4,000 votes. So, yeah, the Republicans' best evidence of fraud in Virginia's 2020 presidential election is that Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by even more than originally reported. <laughs> According to the first detailed accounting of the errors that first came to light in 2022 as part of the now dropped criminal case. The admission from the Prince William County Office of Elections came a week after prosecutors from the Virginia AG's office dropped the charges against the county's former registrar. Counts were also off, according to the same officials, in races for the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives on the same ballot way back in 2020, though by lesser margins. In a statement, the county's current registrar, Eric Olson, emphasized that the mistakes did not even come close to affecting the outcome of any race and, quote, did not consistently favor one party or candidate, but were likely due to a lack of proper planning. A difficult election environment. Remember, that was 2020, so during the height of COVID. And he notes human error in the presidential race. So what happened here? The, the county mistakenly shorted Biden by 1,648 votes in the tally, and they overreported Trump's count by 2,327 votes. So there was uh, a 300, I'm sorry, 3,000 975 vote error in the margin of victory, but that margin that was should have gone to Biden was actually immaterial uh, because in the contest, Biden won uh, Virginia by 450,000 votes. And in Prince William County, he beat Donald Trump by more than 60,000 votes. In the U.S. Senate race that same year, Democratic U.S. Senator Mark Warner was also shorted by about 1,589 votes. But the candidate in this case, uh, the Republican candidate, Daniel Gade, 
was also shorted in his final results, though only by a little bit more than 100 votes. Warner won statewide by more than half a million votes, so again, no effect on the overall statewide races. Again, the best evidence of massive fraud in Virginia, according to Republicans. Uh, However, in a U.S. House race, Republican Robert Whitman was shorted by 293 votes, even though he won handily anyway by more than 80,000 votes in the district. Do they explain what happened? Yes, yes, yes. The details, uh, well, somewhat. They explain them somewhat. Here, here's what I'm able to figure out. The So uh, as NBC reports, the details were the first extensive response about the errors since Michelle White was initially charged back in 22 with corrupt conduct, making a false statement and neglect of duty. Prosecutors from the office of the Republican Attorney General Jason Mayaris initially dropped the charges against White, however, with little explanation. They just kind of wanted to make this go away, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Court records lacked any details on the alleged misconduct. So it only recently became public um, who, which candidates had actually benefited from the mistakes in the tabulation that were you know, brought forward as criminal charges. Olson, the new clerk, said that he had been restricted from being more forthcoming about the errors while the criminal case was litigated. But in an interview, he said the majority of errors occurred in so-called split precincts, in which one precinct has two different congressional districts oh, in it. Oh, they consolidated these pre- these districts into one or well, more precincts? Well, it's not so much that they consolidated, but it's that they split the uh, districts right through the middle of these precincts. So ah. the precincts may vote for, you know, all the same other candidates, but the congressional district goes right up their street. Hmm. The county's voting system, however, did not split the presidential vote by congressional district as it was supposed to. The uh, state system requires them to be split up that way when reporting them. So the errors reportedly occurred when they tried to conform the county data with the state requirements, apparently by hand. Olson said that he first discovered the mistakes when he noticed that precincts 607 and 608 displayed the identical presidential results. In both precincts, someone had apparently entered one precinct's data into the other by mistake. He said it seemed like an obvious typo. Uh, Olson had replaced White as the registrar and eventually reported the irregularities under his predecessor to state officials. The case against White is the only criminal prosecution brought thus far by a special election integrity unit that the uh, new AG Miaris, if that's how you say his name, formed in 2022, just after he was elected as Virginia's new attorney general, after Republicans had a big election year there in 2021. The uh, office said that the unit was created in part to fulfill a campaign promise, quote, because Virginians expressed concerns to him about our elections as he traveled across the Commonwealth. Well, I wonder which Virginians did that. Critics, including the NAACP, however, said the unit was formed to pander to election deniers. Oh, there you go. Uh, Virginia's most recent redistricting has dramatically reduced, however, the number of split precincts. 
which seems like that ought to be just unlawful. It seems like, you know, uh, one precinct, yes, what they do, you're right, Des, a lot of times they'll take a bunch of different precincts and put them into a single voting place. Voting center. Right. Um, But here, uh, you know, it's a precinct that is split where people actually vote differently in the same precinct. That's what caused the problems in William in uh, Prince William County in 2020. The new redistricting in the Commonwealth has, report, they say, dramatically reduced the number of split precincts. We'll see. Olson, the uh, new election official there, says new procedures and systems are now in place to prevent errors like that from happening. He said, quote, mistakes are unfortunate but require diligence and innovation to correct. They do not reflect a purposeful attempt to undermine the integrity of the electoral process and the investigation into this matter ended with that conclusion, he said in a statement. So, yes, as always, I do try to warn for a reason. Sometimes it is, in fact, years before miscounting in our election systems actually comes to light. And in the bargain, uh, we are still waiting for any evidence of massive fraud in the 2020 presidential election. You notice I don't I don't say, oh, it didn't happen. I say we have seen zero evidence for it. For the massive fraud that uh, about two thirds of Republican voters now have been duped into believing actually happened. I guess no evidence necessary. But speaking of redistricting, uh, after the 2020 census, we have got quite a bit of news along those lines after we take a quick break here. And also, yep, our latest Green News report coming up later as well. That is all ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, it's Brad. Well, we are here in another critical presidential election year. We cover elections like no other outlet in the nation. This election year will be a big one like none other. It could even be the last one, depending on how it goes. Seriously. Please help the broadcast continue in this critical election year. Support our work right now with a generous donation via bradblog.com slash donate. Help keep the broadcast and bradblog.com free for all. We couldn't do any of this without you. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate right now. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. Uh-huh. We're, no we're not actually to uh, South Carolina just yet. We're still in New Hampshire. But there is a reason that I, I wanted to open this segment with that song. And it's not necessarily, it's kind of a sad one, Desi Doyen. Uh, mm. CBS News broadcasting legend Charles Osgood, mm. longtime host of my mom's favorite television show, that would be CBS Sunday Morning, and my own personal favorite. As I was growing up, the Osgood Files on the radio, where uh, Charles Osgood often delivered his reports with humor and even rhyme. Well, he passed away on Tuesday. He was also the author of many books, including one that I remember reading back when I was a kid, back in junior high school, called Nothing Could Be Finer Than a Crisis That Is Minor in the Morning. (laughs) Oh, yes. The title of which 
I really have come to appreciate today for some reason. <laughs> so uh, Osgood uh, died on Tuesday at the age of 91. He will be greatly missed, but fondly remembered. Thanks for everything, Charlie. We'll see you on the radio. All right, in uh, some brighter news today, yes, even for our democracy, we've got a number of encouraging stories, believe it or not, for a happy change uh, regarding redistricting, specifically regarding GOP gerrymandering and, yes, the legal response to it in several different states. So let's begin here. As uh, Daily Coast's excellent election reporter Stephen Wolf recently uh, reported, a federal judge has imposed, oh, you'll like this one, Des, has imposed new state legislative districts in North Dakota after Republican lawmakers in what has now, frankly, become a familiar pattern, refused to comply with a court order to correct maps that the court previously found had discriminated against Native American voters. This has now happened. Uh, Republicans refusing to follow court orders on redistricting, uh, you know, when they're gerrymandered districts. This has happened in state after state in recent months as Republicans seemingly, you know, give up all respect for the court system, the rule of law, and, and definitely for the landmark Voting Rights Act. Earlier this month, U.S. District Judge Peter Welty selected a map that Native voters had proposed in the state, which would unite two Indian reservations into a single district. If the decision survives a pending Republican appeal, the new maps would likely see two Native Democrats replace a pair of white Republicans, one each in the Senate, uh, in the state Senate and the state House. In November, according to Wolf, Welty, Judge Welty struck down the 9th and 15th legislative districts in North Dakota for violating the Voting Rights Act by diluting the power of Native voters to elect their preferred candidates. After the state's newly gerrymandered maps were used in 2022, a Republican ended up winning the 9th District by a big 54-46 to margin, defeating the longtime Democratic state senator Richard Marcellius, who is a former chairman of the Turtle, Bound, uh, Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. Marcellius lost, uh, his loss left the state Senate without any Native members for the first time since 1991 in North Dakota. Native tribes who brought the lawsuit charged that lawmakers had improperly split up two reservations, Turtle Mountain and Spirit Lake, between two different districts. That's a practice known as cracking. Take this, uh, you know, large group of people, minority voters, and split them up so they can't vote in the same election. As a result, Native voters were unable to elect their preferred candidates, almost certainly Native Democrats, in either of those two districts. Instead, both districts ended up electing white Republicans. That, of course, was the plan. That was the point. That was the purpose. That was the reason they gerrymandered. The 9th District also failed to perform in another way, according to Wolf, while most North Dakota State House districts, which have two members each, 
Uh, most of those districts elect both members on an at-large basis, meaning all residents of the district can vote for both members. That's the way it works in most of the state house districts. Well, in this case, this only this case, legislators split the ninth district, and only the ninth apparently hmm. into two so-called sub-districts. Uh, it's just infuriating. I it is thought this would drive you nuts. Yeah. I mean, I, so they they made a point. They made a point of splitting this district. Yep. It's already hard enough for Native Americans to get to a polling place and so you know go, get past all of yep. the hurdles and burdens yep. that are erected by Republicans in states that they control in order to make it harder for Native Americans to vote. It's just. It's like Republicans in state legislatures that they control have a very special place in their heart for making it really hard for Native Americans to exercise the franchise. They've got a very interesting understanding of the idea of democracy, don't yeah. they? So, uh. yeah, uh, you know, OK, well, we'll put them all in the same district, but then we'll split them into sub-districts. The Republicans packed the Native Americans into just one of those sub-districts. That left... District 9A, as they called it, with an 80% Native population, 80%, while 9B was just 32% Native. The, uh, the, the former, the 80% Native population, consequently supported Joe Biden by a 73 to 26 margin and elected a Democrat to the legislature, while the latter went for Donald Trump, 61 to 37, and sent a Republican to the state house. It worked as planned, didn't it? Now, the new court-adopted, court-mandated map imposed by the federal judge after Republicans refused to draw one themselves eliminates the sub-districts and redraws the 9th district to include the Spirit Lake Reservation, putting it in the same district as the Turtle Mountain Reservation. Consequently, Native Democrats would be favored to win the 9th Senate seat and both of the House seats in special elections that Judge Welty has also ordered oh, must good. take place this fall. Instead of drawing new maps, as previously ordered, Republicans have appealed to the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, advancing a radical new legal argument that would effectively destroy the Voting Rights Act by rendering it almost entirely unenforceable, notes Wolf, an argument that most Republican-led states have voiced support for, he says. Republicans are now claiming that private individuals or organizations cannot sue in order to enforce the Voting Rights Act. They're charging that only the U.S. Attorney General can do so. Uh, we discussed this new legal theory slash scam just before the holidays, as I recall, with Slate's Mark Joseph Stern on the show after Republicans finally found a Trump-appointed U.S. District Judge that was willing to go along with this legal theory slash scam. That, despite the fact that the overwhelming majority of voting rights lawsuits, hundreds of them over recent decades, have in fact been brought by private plaintiffs, including voters and civil rights organizations. If only the federal government could pursue such claims, the number of cases under the uh, Voting Rights Act would dwindle even under a Democratic president, notes Wolf, and a Republican president could simply refuse to enforce the Voting Rights Act altogether. And no one would have any say of it. For, uh, for decades, the Supreme Court has ruled on VRA lit litigation 
but without happening to notice what this one federal judge now says he's found that there was no private right of action in the Voting Rights Act. Oh, look, I just found I just noticed. Who knew? Including, by the way, even last June in landmark uh, the uh, landmark Alabama case where the Supremes ordered that state to add a new majority minority U.S. House district. However, as Wolf notes, given how the uh, how often the Supreme Court's far right majority has sought to undermine the Voting Rights Act in other cases, at this point, little can be taken for granted. And that's exactly what North Dakota Republicans are now counting on as they challenge these new maps at the federal appeals court. And they hope to work their way up to the Supremes for now. However, for now, good news in North Dakota for Native American voters and frankly, for all voters. Along similar lines, more good news, this time out of Louisiana. The Louisiana State Legislature on Friday approved a new congressional map that includes not one, but two majority black districts after being ordered to do so by a federal court, which found that the existing map illegally diminished black voting power in the Bayou State, or the Pelican State, if you prefer, take your pick. Other than that, this country is not a racist country, says <laughs> Nikki Haley. Approval by the legislature in Louisiana comes after a years-long court battle to give black voters in the state adequate voting representation. Previously, black voters in Louisiana had a majority in just one of the state's six congressional districts, even though they make up nearly a third of the statewide population. The new map is now expected to give Democrats an edge in upcoming elections, according to Washington Post. The map was signed into law on Monday by the state's new Republican governor, Jeff Landry, who was sworn into office after the new year. The new map increases the black makeup of Louisiana's 6th congressional district from 23 percent to 54 percent. The uh, seat is uh, currently held by Congressman Garrett Graves, a Republican who was once the top lieutenant to former Congressman Kev McCarthy before he was ousted from the speakership last year. Graves had also endorsed one of Governor Landry's rivals in the gubernatorial race. So apparently vindictive state Republicans chose to sacrifice his seat in this new map. Hmm. While the new plan jeopardizes Graves' hold on the seat, it protects the seats of the two most powerful Louisiana Republicans in the House. That would be House Speaker Mike Johnson and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, both from Louisiana. Congressman Troy Carter, who represents Louisiana's second congressional district, he's a Democrat. The second district is majority black. He praised the passage of the new map says Louisiana did the right thing. Math prevailed. It has been a tough fight to get a congressional map that fairly represents every Louisianan, uh, specifically creating two districts that give African-Americans equal representation. Of course, the Republicans who control the Louisiana legislature only did that right thing because they had failed to uh, because if they didn't do the right thing, if they had failed to approve a map as the court had ordered, the court said that they would draw one up for them. And that might not have been uh, as advantageous uh, a map for them. 
The addition of the majority black seat in Louisiana adds to the list of recent remapping decisions in several other states, largely across the South, where black voters, yes, private voters, not the federal government in most of these cases, have been suing for proper representation under the Voting Rights Act in court, hoping to reverse policies that dilute their voting power. Happily, it is not only in the South where courts are now siding with voters over GOP vote suppressors. Last week, a group of Wisconsin voters asked the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, which as of last summer had flipped, you'll recall, from one of the most regressive right-wing high courts in the nation to one that finally has a narrow four to three liberal leaning majority. A group of Wisconsin voters asked them to reopen previous litigation over the state's U.S. House maps and allow for implementation of new U.S. House districts that comply with the state's newly operative redistricting criteria in advance of the 2024 election. As reported by Democracy Docket, this action comes on the heels of the state Supreme Court's long-awaited December 2023 ruling in Clark v. Wisconsin Election Commission. That case, you may recall, challenged the state's legislative maps for its own assembly and its Senate, maps that had been wildly politically gerrymandered by Republicans for more than a decade. In its uh, 4-3 ruling in that case, uh, last month, back in December, the court's liberal majority held that Wisconsin state legislative districts violated the state constitution and their requirement that districts be contiguous, meaning abutting each other, as opposed to uh, broken up and split up into pieces that float amongst each other, if that makes sense. And uh, the uh, high court in Wisconsin ordered the implementation of a new set of state legislative maps for both the Wisconsin Assembly and the Senate prior to the 2024 election. That was last month. Now, in last week's new motion, which was filed in a pre-existing redistricting case known as Johnson versus Wisconsin Election Commission, Wisconsin voters uh, in this case argue that the state's congressional maps, its U.S. House maps, must also be redrawn in accordance with the court's recent ruling in Clark. That's the state redistricting uh, case. The motion underscores that in its Clark opinion, the Wisconsin Supremes overruled its previous decision in the Johnson case governing the state's approach to redistricting. That original ruling in Johnson came under the previous far-right-leaning court and came up with some ridiculous reasons to essentially ignore the state constitution's requirement that, you know, U.S. districts, you know, they're, they're fine as is, whatever they are, just ignore the state constitution, despite being wildly gerrymandered, um, you know, in order to ensure that even if a majority of state voters voted for Democrats in the state, Republicans would not only rule uh, both chambers of the state legislature, but would almost certainly have a supermajority in each of them uh, and in the U.S. House. Because uh, the state legislature, dominated by Republicans yeah. on ridiculously gerrymandered maps, the state legislature got to draw the maps for the House. And so those were the maps that were used in 2022. 
and they won't be used now in the uh, state uh, assembly and senate. And this new suit tries to uh, reopen the argument at the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, that uh, the maps need to be redrawn in time for the 2024 uh, general elections must be redrawn for the U.S. House as well. That's good news, and that's going straight to the now liberal-leaning Supreme Wisconsin State Supreme Court, in addition to arguing that the current congressional map violates the uh, Supreme Court's newly clarified redistricting criteria, the voters in the new motion filed last week contend that the map, quote, suffers from serious partisan unfairness. According to the filing, uh, quote, Republicans won 75 percent of the state's congressional seats, despite winning only 50 percent of the statewide vote in Wait, 22. What? Republicans have 75 percent of the state's congressional seats in the U.S. House even though they only won 50% of the vote statewide. Funny how that works, isn't it? The uh, the state is currently represented, therefore, by six Republicans in the U.S. House and just two Democrats, even though 50% of state voters in 22 voted for Democrats. And, by the way, re-elected Democratic Governor Tony Evers statewide for a second term. Wisconsin voters request that parties in the Johnson case be permitted to, quote, submit remedial congressional plans that satisfy Wisconsin's judicial redistricting criteria for congressional maps as clarified by Clark, the case last month, and ask the court to select a new congressional map, and this is critical, in time for the 2024 elections. Quote, equity, justice, and the public interest favor elections conducted using Congressional boundaries that comply with state law. Imagine that. The motion uh, emphasizes that absent a court correction, an avowedly lawless map will remain in effect until at least 2031. Mm. And they note will govern four rounds of congressional elections. We will, of course, keep our eye on that case. Uh, as all of these state-by-state uh, -state changes to U.S. House districts, even, you know, sort of one seat at a time, one state at a time, they are adding up, especially right now with a Republican U.S. House majority that is so narrow, they can afford to lose just three votes in any legislation that comes uh, to the floor that Republican Speaker Mike Johnson deigns to bring up for a vote. If everyone... Turns out to vote this November uh, across the country, Democrats have a very good chance of taking back the House uh, in uh, next January. The Senate and the White House, well, that's a conversation for another day. All right, a quick <laughs> break, and we're back with our latest Green News report as climate change-fueled extreme weather has been seriously testing U.S. infrastructure in recent days and weeks. That and more in the GNR. Up next, I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So San Diego's Mayor Todd Gloria declared a state of emergency yesterday as more than does a month's worth of rain fell uh, in a single day, actually in a few hours, causing yeah. widespread dangerous flooding in what was San Diego's wettest January day on record and ranking in the top five wettest days for any time of year. Since record-keeping began in 1850, the torrent shut down highways, swamped roads, left some residents helplessly helplessly watching as water swept away their cars. Uh, and there was some incredible video. That's just cars are just know. floating away. And they're just piling up like, like Tonka toys. As uh, they swept away the cars, wreaked havoc on their homes. Three inches of rain fell in the span of just three hours, according to the National Weather Service. Mayor uh, Gloria said that the city was coordinating efforts with local, state, and federal agencies to ensure a comprehensive response. Displaced residents were directed to an evacuation center set up by the American Red Cross. This was bad. If you can get to it. After, uh, if your car hasn't floated away, after uh, two homeless shelters flooded, the city uh, of San Diego scrambled to uh, get people into a uh, public gy- gymnasium. Officials fielded numerous rescue calls uh, in an area that received more rain on Monday than it did during the much-feared tropical storm Hillary last August. Hmm. So more rain than that in some places. In the Mountain View neighborhood of San Diego, the water, uh, uh, New York Times notes, judging by the telltale brown lines on the exterior walls of residences, had been several feet high. Inside homes, a thick sludge covered carpets. About 14,000, more than 14,000 San Diego gas and electric uh, customers had lost electricity as of Monday afternoon, according to poweroutage.us. Hundreds were rescued from homes and flooded parts of the normally quite tranquil city of San Diego. <laughs> yes, it's always a good time to remember to check your emergency preparedness yep. in case stuff like this happens, which it is happening without warning a lot more frequently. Yes, it is. Uh, thankfully, there were no storm-related deaths reported as of Monday evening. We'll hope it stays that way. But that is just one city in one state after weeks of winter storms across the nation have just been uh, pummeling folks and our infrastructure in all sorts of places, as discussed in our latest Green News Report. Our weather problems, they certainly persist from coast to coast. Deadly winter storms pummel U.S. infrastructure. FEMA overhauls disaster relief system as climate shocks worsen. Plus, the stakes could not be higher. The 2024 presidential election is an inflection point for climate action. All of those inflection points and more straight ahead. From Brandblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The weather, you got, I mean, have you seen the cold all across this country? Yeah, it's rough. Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, she actually likes the coat. She gets to show up for a coat made of 101 Dalmatian. <laughs> this is your Green News Report. Gonna soak up the sun. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, I am back after being cured a second time from the COVID <laughs> that you gave me. Welcome back. Thank you. I heard while I was gone from a listener that you sounded much happier doing the Green News Report <laughs> when I wasn't around. Well, don't believe them. I missed you. Uh-huh. What do you have for us today, Des? Well, as we go to air, more than 95 people across the United States have died from weather-related causes from ferocious winter storms over the past week, brought by another outbreak of frigid Arctic air spilling into the U.S., bringing sub-freezing conditions as far south as Texas and Florida. The coast-to-coast storms knocked out electricity for millions and generated a deadly ice storm in Portland, Oregon. In Memphis, Tennessee, 400,000 people remain under boil water notices after the freeze broke water mains, underscoring how critical U.S. infrastructure is not ready for new climate extremes. The U.S. has now careened from a record snow drought for the month of January to now having record snow cover. Climate scientists link these extreme swings to man-made climate change. And forecasters now warn of potential flooding across the country as temperatures warm. And this is in a whole bunch of states, a whole bunch of places. It's like the entire country is dealing with this right now. Because it is. Uh huh. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is revamping its approach to disaster aid to mobilize relief more quickly. Weather disasters are increasing in frequency in every region of the United States. I wonder why. FEMA data shows that in 2022 alone, weather-related disasters displaced more than 3 million American adults from their homes. 2023 shattered the record for the most weather disasters in a single year. So FEMA is overhauling the country's disaster assistance programs by cutting red tape to streamline access and increasing immediate cash aid for survivors for temporary housing and home repairs, among other provisions. Good. Not a moment too soon. In other news, with the critical 2024 election in full gear, voters are presented with a stark choice between candidates advocating for climate action and clean energy and those who push denial, delay, and expansion of fossil fuels that are the primary drivers of man-made climate change. We reported previously on new data showing a surge in a new breed of climate science disinformation on social media focused on falsely attacking climate solutions, particularly renewable energy. Surveys show most Americans support speeding up the transition away from fossil fuels. But powerful fossil fuel industry lobbyists at the American Petroleum Institute aim to change that with a multi-million dollar election year ad blitz calling for expansion of U.S. fossil fuel production and exports, hoping to convince voters to ignore the climate crisis and solutions and instead prioritize the goals of the oil and gas industry. Yeah, well, good luck with that, because once again, just to underscore a majority, a large majority of Americans want to see climate action. U.S. Climate Envoy John Kerry, who will soon step down from his post, underscored the importance of the 2024 U.S. presidential election for the planet at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, late last week. The stakes could not be higher for our country, for the world. The stakes are as high as they get and as high as I've seen in the course of my public service. Kerry says that the global clean energy transition is inevitable, but the next U.S. president will play a key role in either advancing or delaying the transition in America and the world. Uh-oh. And the only issue for all of us is... is Not whether or not we can get or will get to a low-carbon, no-carbon economy globally. We will. 
The only question is, will we get there in time to meet the challenge of the scientists in order to avoid the worst consequences of this crisis? And recent data would seem to back up the inevitability of the transition. Canary Media reports that the world is building renewable energy faster than ever before. The rate of renewable energy deployment globally jumped 50% in 2023, the most rapid growth rate in decades. That sounds like good news. Let's end it there. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide, please, on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. We'll see. We hope. Yes, we hope. But listen, you know, that just underscores the importance of a 2024 election. The yep. timing is what is important here. Yep. The transition is inevitable, but is it going to be fast enough? That's the question. The change is underway, uh, but can we save ourselves? Yes. We'll find out. <laughs> Perhaps on the next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any others, or you'd like to just give it another listen or share it with someone you know, you can do that. It's all free at bradblog.com. All we ask, and it's up to you, is that you hit one of those donate buttons while you're there to help us stay on your public airwaves. Or you can go straight to bradblog.com slash donate to help us do exactly that. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, you will find me at the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time with results out of New Hampshire, correct or otherwise, <laughs> I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.